Hello, and welcome to Heart Points, a one-to-one RPG actual play podcast. I'm your husband and GM, Zach. And I'm your wife and player, Diana. And this is episode two of Fall of Magic. How are you, my darling? I am okay. <laughs> that sounds negative, but like, I'm just, I'm very, I'm okay. I'm not itchy. This is the first week all summer, and summer's almost over. That I'm not itchy. Mm-hmm. I went to work today for a little extra money and real and discovered that I'm going to be making a little extra money all week, which is nice. I discovered Portuguese, like contemporary folk, I guess. So now we can listen to Portuguese music that isn't Fado. I is mean, that what you're yeah, me? but like Fado's so good. It's... it's just sad about all these dead dudes. I mean, it's not really about dead dudes, but it's about dead dudes. It's. Sad. Definitely something. It's nasally. It's very... Very nasally. It's very nasally. I just discovered a new song. It's called To Breathe. Breathe. Well, what's the, it actually called? Cheshpirad. Okay. And it is very much my shit. It's very much my shit. It reminds me of, like, Ingrid Michaelson a little. Not, okay. Like, that might be a bit of a stretch, but that's kind of where it's reminding me. You know what I mean? Like, if you fell down a YouTube hole where you started with Ingrid Michaelson, it wouldn't take you very long to get to Cheshpirad. Okay. Does that make sense? It. I don't know. I haven't listened to it yet. Okay. But, I mean, the in concept, the, the concept in theory, yeah. yes. Okay. So, yeah. And, that, and that's I'm riding a little bit of that high right now because okay. I have been focusing so much of my attention on Korean things. You thought you'd connect with your own I culture's maybe, pop? I thought maybe. Is it, well, it, yeah. is it Portuguese or is it Brazilian? It is very specifically Portuguese. I very specifically okay. looked up Portugal pop music, not Portuguese pop music. I see. Because Portuguese pop music will take you to Brazil. And there's nothing wrong with Brazilian music, but I can't understand Brazilian Portuguese. I have a hard enough time understanding European Portuguese. Brazilian Portuguese just goes right over my head with all those cheese. So, <laughs> like, bonoite, it ends in a T. The letter when you're spelling it is a T. So it's bonoite. Noite. Mm-hmm. In Brazilian Portuguese, it's pronounced bonoichi. And I, if you're speaking really fast and you say bonoit, there's a chance I won't understand you. If you say bonoichi, I'm super not going to understand you. And so I just thought it would be nice to listen to some foreign music that I could catch every other word and like half understand it. <laughs> and if I made it Brazilian, I would not half understand it. I would not understand it at all. It would be the same thing as listening to Korean music. So... <laughs> I, I want Portuguese. And maybe once I get a handle on the European Portuguese, I can go to Brazilian. Yeah, we got to step up our Duolingo game. I do not use Duolingo. Oh. Duolingo teaches... Mm. Listen, Duolingo teaches you Brazilian Portuguese. Oh, I see. And Brazilian Portuguese is different than European Portuguese, mm-hmm. much like Mexican Spanish is different than Spain Spanish or even yes. like Barcelona Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I use a program called Memrise. And it is British. It's a British app, which is why it teaches you European Portuguese. Well, they're not paying us, so let's not talk no. about them anymore. Well, and Duolingo's not paying us either, <laughs> Zachary. Let's talk about our game. We probably should. Uh, this is our second episode of The Fall of Magic, one of my favorite storytelling games. I am playing Vago, the Raven of Raven Hall. He is a uh, young... I think I said like, tw- did I say late 20s or early 30s? He's late 20s or early 30s, which I guess isn't young. Um, well, I guess it depends on age. Like, is he a wizard? Let's say mid-20s. Because wizards can live forever. 
I don't remember what I said last week, but this week, let's say mid-20s. Um, he's like a mid-20s, like 25, 20, 25 to 27 um, magician who was raised in Ravenhall. And he has a magic cloak that allows him to turn into a giant raven. I am playing Fawn, a giant of Mistwood. I am seven, seven feet and five inches tall. I don't know that I described my age last time. I can't remember if I did. And I'm not going to now because I don't know. I don't know it. Okay. I don't know the culture of giants to be able. She lived with her mom and then she went and followed the Magus. But depending on your culture, she could be like a 40-year-old woman who never married and so she lives with her mom. Maybe you don't live independently. Some cultures don't live independently from their families. Or maybe she's five. I don't know. I don't know the culture of giants. So I'm going to leave her age ambiguous. Well, that's one of the beauties of this game is that uh, at the start, you don't know anything about your character other than their name and their title. And over the course of the game, you discover it. So uh, I think the last character that we should acknowledge is the Magus, who is a young boy, about 12 years old. 10. Did we make him that young? Didn't we say he was a fourth or fifth grader? Yes. That's like 10 through 12. Okay. That's like that age. All right. So he's between 10 and 12. He's been the Magus for about two years since the last Magus died. And he is now dying. Actually... We never did. We ever say the previous Magus died? Just that the previous just, Magus is no longer the Magus. He's just no longer the Magus. We mm-hmm. don't know. We don't know what happened to him. Just yes. that there was a Magus. He became injured, and now there is a new Magus, and we don't know what happened to the other Magus. And uh, he is taking us on a trek to the land where magic was born. ended the last episode in Barleytown. Uh, it was uh, my turn last, so now it's Diana's turn. So Diana can either move to another location in Barleytown or move the Magus to our next location. So I think it would be stupid to revisit Barleytown. That is a personal preference of Diana, so we're going to move okay. on. We're going to move on. There are lots of locations in Barleytown. There are, but we're going to move on. So this is our first first fork in the road you get to choose and you are so as the giant of mistwood you now get to choose whether or not we're going to go to the mistwood or the storm guard mountains as our party starts on its journey fawn and the magus have a short conversation when they come to this fork in the road they have a short conversation and Fawn is adamant that we not go through the Mistwood, but go through Stormguard Mountain because the mountains have a shortcut. She knows a shortcut through the mountains. And she's pretty fierce in this conversation with the Magus. The Magus is a young boy, despite being the Magus, so he agrees. And so we are heading towards the mountains when... The mountains are in sight. We're now too far to go back towards Mistwood. And the mountains are ahead of us when large gray storm clouds move in very swiftly from the mountains towards us. The air becomes very heavy and everything becomes very quiet. 
there's no longer birds and there's no longer crickets and it's almost an unnatural quiet as we're coming up to these mountains and these storm clouds are coming towards us. And the mountains themselves are not currently covered in very much snow, but there is a little bit of snow at the very, very top. Um, They are still alive, but death is moving its way up the mountain. So like the base has a lot of the golds and the reds, the top or the closer to the top has a lot of the green and the very, very tippy top is white. But like I said, there's these large, fast gray clouds moving in. And the Magus demands that we make camp before we trek over the mountains at the base of the mountain. I think as we are setting up camp, uh, Vago goes to the Magus. And uh, I think Vago, he walks up to the Magus and he does a low bow and he says, um, Young Magus, please permit me to scout ahead. I would like to see if the storm is going to get worse. Uh, Maybe I can discern how long we are going to be here. That would be wise, yes. Thank you. And uh, Vago, um, with a flourish of his cloak, transforms into this huge raven um, and takes flight. And he... Uh, rises high into the sky and and, um, you can see him traveling uh, along the mountainside uh, as he tries to to gain height and I think uh, I think he's going higher and higher trying to like uh, get as much as he can so that he can see the the sky on the other side of the mountains, or at least get a sense of what the weather is going to be like on the uh, on the eastern side. When suddenly he flickers and becomes human uh, and starts plummeting, and he clutches his cloak and he wraps it around himself, uh, and he's tumbling through the air and falling. After just a second, uh, he snaps back into into his bird form. Um, and he catches an updraft and just goes up. And he feels very strange uh, because that's never happened to him before. And he wonders if it is the magic or if it is something else. Because so far, um, like enchanted items are still holding their magic. It's like casting magic that's going away. And then while I am here, can you grab me that die, please? I rolled a three. News from the east. Uh, I think. Um, I think in the mountains, Vago sees two uh, traders making their way uh, with um, two like merchants making their way with with their uh, loaded oxen. Traders. 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 Trader. Okay. okay. You did say mer- merchants after. Yeah. I. So yeah. I. I, I got the gist but i just wanted to make sure that i was understanding what was no yeah i realized as i i changed to merchants because i was like oh wait i don't know if that made if that sound comes through but uh two merchants making their way through the mountains with oxen heading west um and i think vago um comes down for a landing and lands in the road before them and with a flourish uh becomes vago again uh and i think he like 
as he like is walking towards these merchants, he's like checking his uh, cloak to see if there's any damage or anything or like why that might have happened. And he goes to them and he asks for news and what they've heard. Uh, and I think he asked them specifically about the state of magic where they're coming from on the other side of the mountains. Um, how is the magic? And uh, I think they inform him that casting magic has officially been declared dead in the east. There is there is no more casting magic. Um, no one has been able to cast in weeks. Uh, even the most like powerful university wizards have not been able to cast any magic. I think he looks around and he asks them for help with something. I think he might uh, ask for directions or something like how to get back to uh, their campsite. And one of the merchants pull out like a magical device, a magical like compass, um, and it fritzes for a moment and then writes itself. Vago comes back and relays the news to his companions. The storm is moments away from unleashing above us. So we've made camp and taken shelter um, as best as we can. And we're all huddled around. We're all huddled under some shelter and around a fire. And it's quiet. People are uneasy. The storm has yet to start. So there's that kind of apprehension in the air. Mm -hmm. And Fawn starts humming and then she starts singing a song but it's a story like a bard right it's a tale i'm not going to sing because i'm terrible with that but feel free to play any characters that you want because we're all around the fire if you want to but she starts telling this story of this of the first giant Ooh. and the first giant was born from a mountain and was as big as the mountain itself. And this giant woke up one day and began working the land around the mountain. And she cleared fields and leveled trees and built herself a home, but she was lonely. And so this first giant started roaming the world. It did not take her long to walk the whole earth, but she was still lonely. So she went on a journey to find other worlds, to find other lands. And she came to this place and encountered a king of wizards. And she didn't feel so lonely anymore because he was the only one. He was the only king of wizards. And she was the only giant. And they were able to strike up a friendship. And she didn't feel so lonely anymore. And so they they created this um, ever-long relationship where they helped each other. And I think the purpose of that story, right? Like this is a it's it was told in like a fairy tale, like bedtime story rhyme. And the purpose of the story is to kind of explain the giants and why they have changed and their sensitivity to magic. Because I think giants are sensitive to magic. I think that's why they are in mines, because they can find that special stones, gems, 
That's a terrible story. <laughs> that was a great story. It was a good story. <laughs> I think the Magus has been watch has been listening to the story very intently and, and looking up at you with his big uh, child eyes. And when you finish the story, he goes, "You know, the first giant came from the Stormguard Mountains, right?" I always believed so, but I was never told. He nods. And he goes, "It's true. The fields she tended." became Mistwood, and that's why so many of her children live there now. And how do you know such a thing? He smiles, and he says, I just know. Uh, I think Vago goes, that's not what they taught us at university, young Magus. And uh, the Magus says, they didn't have to teach me. Fawn is smiling at this. And then he says, that's why so many of the giants stay in Mistwood, but... There are some, he says, looking at Fawn, that feel that first giant's need to wander. I think you might be right, young Magus. He nods and he goes, I knew I made a good choice bringing you to Umbra. <laughs> well, I think she, like, exaggerates a very large, like, bow towards the Magus. She goes, well, I, I thank you for that. Um, but she found that all, like, humorous. I don't know that she believes a single word that sh- he said, because um, he's a 10-year-old child, or mm-hmm. a 12-year-old child. But she's amused by it, and it makes her feel better with this storm. It brings a little bit of comfort to her. I am going to move the Magus. As the storm passes, the trio pack up camp and continue making their way through the Stormguard Mountains until they reach Castle Stormguard. And Castle Stormguard is a massive uh, keep at the height of one of the smaller mountains in the range. Really more of a highland than a mountain, like a Monroe. Uh but it looks out over the east um, and guards the road through the Stormguard Mountains. The Magus is granted entry, and the three of us are brought to Alana, the Storm Queen, in her welcoming chamber? Hall? Her throne room? Welcoming hall? I'm imagining her sitting on her throne, receiving us. And I think Alana sits in her throne. Um, I think she has she has a sword at her lap. And I think despite the death of magic, she is crackling with energy. I think her eyes um, have a bit of a glow um, as trails of uh, electricity spark out the sides of them. Would you like to play Alana? Sure. And the Magus, I think, leads us, and he bows to Alana, and he says, Alana Storm Queen, Castle of... uh, uh, I'm sorry. uh, Ruler of Castle Stormguard, thank you for your hospitality. And he bows again. She smiles, and, like, just the faintest of an incline with her head, and says... Welcome, guests. We are more than pleased that you could join us 
young Magus. What do you think that, what is the court like in, in Castle Stormguard? I imagine a lot of force. So I'm a, imagining a lot of like soldiers and knights and like weapons on the wall. Everyone is a, yeah. everyone's like a skilled fighter. Yeah. What are they protecting? They're protecting the road. What are they protecting the road from? I don't know that we know. I'm also picturing it as very heavily armed. Right? I, it, like very Spartan. Yes. Very militant. Yes. There's um, not a lot of luxury. Yeah. Uh, Vago's looking around and he is feeling very uncomfortable. This is not the university. This is very different. And I think the Magus says, uh, we will not be here long. We were hoping just for some accommodations and a place to rest. And you shall have those things. You may rest here as long as you need. Thank you for your service to uh, the mountains. And uh, I look forward to seeing you throughout our stay. She definitely laughs. She chuckles. (laughs) Same. Magus. (laughs) Same. I don't... That's not proper protocol. Like, it... or, Or it is, but it's not for her. She's used to dealing with soldiers. This... The flowery pleasantries are not something that she's comfortable with. Uh, I think that's me. Okay. That's seen. I don't imagine that there are very many visitors to Castle Stormguard. Nor do I imagine that there are very many high-ranking, high-profile visitors to Castle Stormguard. And the Magus is that. And so I think that... Alana declares that since the Magus is joining us for the night, that there will be a feast. There will be much drinking and food and dancing, and it's a break for everyone. They're using this as an opportunity to take a break from from training, from patrols. There obviously are still guards. There's people still doing their jobs, but it's a chance for some merrymaking. And, you know, there's like fiddles playing and people eating good food and and dancing is sort of just starting and fawn is kind of standing in the corner she is in this crowd full of soldiers she's only heads she's only a head above everybody she's usually head and shoulders above everybody but in this one she's only a head above everybody she's kind of swaying to the music when a tipsy soldier, taller, not as tall as her, but taller soldier, kind of walks over to her. I don't know if you want to play that or not. But. No, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. He yeah, walks over and goes, giant. Human. Dance with me. I don't know if you want to dance mm, with yes, me. Yes, yes, I do. I, I most certainly do dance with me. I... I'm not a very good dancer. I don't have a lot of practice. He, I think he looks at you, and then he, like, gestures to all of the soldiers, like, men and women alike on mm-hmm. the dance floor, and none of them have any rhythm. And he goes, Miss, I, I think you have mistaken us. We are not the the kind folk in Mistwood or the fancy folk in Ravenhall we are the soldiers of the storm guard. <laughs> None of us can dance. Please, 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 please. And I think he he takes Fawn's hands. Mm-hmm. And she's laughing, and so she goes with him. 
Um, and he starts to dance very awkwardly. And it's mostly just kind of stomping and like moving his two hands up and down. <laughs> she, she laughs and joins him. Um, and I think the music that's playing is supposed to be something that resembles some sort of line dance, right? There's mm-hmm. like supposed to be synchronized dance, like moves that you're supposed to be doing, but nobody is doing them. And she is laughing along with this soldier and dancing. And this is probably the first time the Magus has really seen Fawn laugh. And she's dancing along with this soldier and the music ends and she takes his hands in hers and she thanks him for a lovely dance and a wonderful time. And she starts to walk off the dance floor. She's still laughing. She's still smiling. Yeah. There's like a a lighter air around her now. I'm going to retcon that. Okay. The lighter air is still around her, and she's still laughing and stuff. Um, but she takes his hands, and she goes, would you like to dance again? He goes, of course. And, yes. And they start dancing again. I like that. It's a little little, little scene. Yeah. A little happy scene. I like that. She's all about happy, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it is later, either that night or the next Another night, depending on how long we end up staying in Castle Stormguard. Um, but Vago cannot sleep. Um, he keeps thinking about his cloak failing. And so he goes wandering in Castle Stormguard. And he makes his way almost, he makes his way accidentally, just kind of walking around. And everything in Castle Stormguard is so Spartan and utilitarian that he does not realize that he is in the crypts until he is in them. And he starts kind of wandering the crypts and just sort of reading the names of the Stormguard soldiers who have fallen and been buried here. He is... He starts noticing names that are repeated and names that obviously have familial ties uh aunts and uncles and daughters uh gunther uh what is it like gunther daughter is like uh gunther daughter gunther son families and thinking about his own times living on the streets of raven hall as a child before the university brought him in. And it's not long before he makes his way to the tomb of the Storm King. And I think the tomb is just this uh, this large, empty room. And there is a glass coffin in the center. And in the glass coffin there is a sword that matches the Storm Queen's. I think Vago looks at it and thinks about what it means to leave something behind. And I think he just puts his hand on the glass and he looks at the sword for a little while before he feels like he's ready to go back to bed. I'm going to make my goofy idiot sad no matter what it takes. (laughs) We spend, I think, 
two nights at Stormguard Castle. On the third day, we, without talking about it, because we had talked about spending one or two or three nights here, without really talking about it, on the third day, we kind of gathered together and kind of recognized that this is the time to go. And so I think, Vago, you're leading the way, I think, Fawn is walking behind the Magus and we come to a crossroads where we can head towards the ice rail or we can go inside the mountain without consulting. Oh, wait. Interesting. Sorry. I don't think we have to actually go here. We can go to the mouth. It looks like we can go to the mouth of the deep and then choose to go to Astalia if we so choose. I think think it'll be... This is its own location, I just realized. Okay. I didn't realize that before. Okay. So, sorry, I I just want to... We're not immediately going underground. Okay. So, without consulting Vago or Fawn, the Magus just starts walking. And just starts walking towards the mouth of the caves that lead and the caverns that lead into the mountain. He just kind of starts walking along. And when... Fawn asks him, do you mind playing the Magus? Is that a cheat? Uh, yeah. Is that okay? Sure. Fawn asks him, Magus, why are we why are we heading towards the caves? So I had an idea if you oh. don't have anything. Uh, I came up with okay, one. but Perfect. No, perfect. Go for it. It's just kind of enigmatic. That's fine. Uh, he says, this is the way, Fawn. Uh, I think Vago's also like putting up a fight. He's like, um... Magus, the, the, the deep, my cloak won't be much help, and I, I don't have any other magic. And then I guess it's like, that'll be fine, uh, Vago. That's okay. And I think that leads us to the mouth of the caverns and caves that lead us into the mountain. Fawn and Vago are a little unsettled, apprehensive, maybe. Um, but the Magus is very confident. This is where we need to go. This is the way that we have to go. And so we arrive and we start making camp. Can I offer an idea that you could get final say on? Sure. Um, So unless, so the prompt is what lights your way. Yes. Is the Magus himself like the metaphorical what lights our way? Yes. Okay. I was thinking either that or like magic. So I was like the like magic is once we get there like shit would light up or something i don't know if we're going to go literal i was wondering if the magus is able to create light in like a show of magic Mm -hmm. that like it's not working but he is able to just like in the palm of his hand create light but i don't know if that's boring because it's more literal and if it's more fun to have it be metaphorical it's both (laughs) okay not that it's he does both. He is both the light and also he can create light, but I think it's very faint. I Okay, here's what I actually think happens. We get to the mouth of this cave, mm-hmm. and again, the Magus is very confident that this is the way that we need to go, whereas Vago and Fawn are more apprehensive. As we approach, I think we, Vago and Fawn, notice that as we're approaching the cave, like we're about to make camp. It's nightfall is coming. As we're approaching the cave, it sort of looks like the sunlight is 
moving with us towards the mouth of the cave. It's not a lot. Mm. It's not super bright and it's not super obvious, but it, what was dark what was a dark area is now a little bit more lightened. And it's a little bit brighter as we make camp in front at the very front of the cave. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That's great. I'm going to go with the cave dwellers. I think. But I'm struggling to think of what the cave dwellers are. And the prompt there is how they are like beasts. Maybe we don't know what they are, but we can only hear them. Yes. I think they are beings of darkness. Um, And you can hear their voices in the mouth of the deep. Um, And they are speaking as we set up camp. Um, And we don't know what their language is. No one does. It's lost to time. Are they words? Are they grunts? Are they are they... words, yes. Okay. It is It is language. Um, you can hear movement in the mouth of the deep. Uh, you can hear uh, tools being used. Um, this is common knowledge um, it, in Ravenhall that this phenomenon happens in the mouth of the deep, but no one knows what it is. And I think as we're like setting up camp, Vago like shivers and he goes uh I don't understand why this is still happening it's uncanny it's eerie shouldn't this have disappeared with magic and I think he like is like setting up a tent magic is not dead yet Vago I'm assuming that's the magus yes what uh, uh, magus certainly you can make it stop you can do something to mask this eeriness this is the natural order of this cave for me to mask this would be a waste of my magical energy and our time i'm going to roll for this event i got what keeps them at bay i think uh i think vago like lets out another shiver and is very unhappy with it and i think he takes out uh, a piece of parchment and starts writing some charms, um, knowing full well that without magic, they won't work. But also, this is not real magic anyway. This is like folk magic. Mm -hmm. And I think it's specifically, it's folk magic to keep away nocturnal animals, bats and wolves and um, anything that creeps in the darkness and he he uh writes a couple of these charms and he tears the parchment uh and he takes like little nails and he nails them up on like some of the posts around the camp and i think the magus or actually what does what does fawn think of this so i i think fawn doesn't intervene when vago is doing all of this but she adds her own giant charms um and giant charms are just like putting rocks in a specific formation near it or um, certain flowers in certain arrangements. Like, it's more tactile. It's less written. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, where he's putting – where he's nailing parchment, she's putting – like, not directly behind him. She's trying to be a little bit more inconspicuous. She's trying to be cool. Um, but she's putting her little protective symbols. Yeah. She's totally creeped out. This is very creepy. I think Vago notices – what is Fawn is doing, and I think he smiles. Um, and I think he says, uh, "I think he's like, 
Well, it's good to know that from the valleys of Mistwood to the wizened halls of Ravenhall, we are all afraid of the dark. As we should be. Ooh. Uh, that creeps out Vago more <laughs> than uh, he was hoping. He was kind of hoping. Uh, it's creepy. Uh, he, 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 like, shivers again and goes back to, like completing everything she worked in the mines yeah we should be afraid of the dark yeah no, that's good as we are making camp and settling in we are in the mouth so we're sort of inside um the cave and there's it's m- much more spacious here than it obviously would be further into the cave um but there are sort of sections like half walls that kind of section off this mouth and Fawn does a little exploring not a lot but a little she doesn't go far and she kind of just goes off to the side into one of these like half rooms it's not really a room but Mm -hmm. it's just a little space off to the side and it's late she did a lot of the like walking and unpacking and all that stuff so she kind of just sits down against the wall, puts her back up against the wall and is looking straight ahead. And she's looking straight ahead at the wall of the nearby cavern. That's kind of the front of this cave. Mm -hmm. And she's not really paying attention and she's just kind of looking and thinking and letting her mind wander. And she starts to notice that the wall of this cavern has a pattern to it. It looks as if a very large pickaxe or something ran down the sides of this cavern. Yo, that's so good. And if you're up close, you wouldn't necessarily notice it because it's been worn and some parts are smoother than others and some parts are more ragged. But from this distance, she can notice this cavern was made. This cavern wasn't formed. It was made. And the size that it, the size of whatever created this was much larger than she and much larger than she could handle. She kind of realizes this and becomes very uncomfortable. And so she heads towards the fire and sits with the Magus, I think. And I don't know if the Magus would say anything. What do you think? I don't think the Magus says anything, but I think he looks up at Fawn with with a knowing and potentially unsettling smile. You know that way that kids smile at you like they know something? Yeah, they're terrified. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. They're yeah. Yeah, like- she's so uncomfortable. But this is the Magus now. She can't just like get up and walk away from mm-hmm. him. But she waits an appropriate amount of time and then settles somewhere else. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey um, to save magic and the Magus. We really, really hope that you guys enjoyed it. We want to send a very special thank you to Zach B., our editor and producer. This game requires a lot of reading, and I have to read upside down, and I'm terrible at it. And then there's a lot of just, like, thinking, which is silence, which is boring. So if you're not listening to a whole bunch of thinking and silence... 
then you can thank Zach B., our editor, for making it listenable. So thank you so much. Next week, once we enter the mouth of the deep, we'll we'll flip the scroll so I can read upside down for a little while. Woo! Uh, we also want to thank In Love with a Ghost for the use of their song Chilling at Nemo's Place off of the album Healing. You can find In Love with a Ghost at inlovewiththeghost.bandcamp.com. Please make sure that you find us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and you rate and subscribe to us there. That's how other people discover us. That's how we know that you guys like us because otherwise we think you all hate us because we have anxiety. And we... (laughs) Too real. (laughs) And it's just a really great way to show us that you love us. So, and it takes very little time and effort. So please go there and find us. Really quick, I just thought of this with In Love With A Ghost. Check out In Love With A Ghost's track, In The Land Of The Giant Beasts. That will be perfect, I think, listening uh, companion for um, as we enter the mouth of the deep. I'm very excited. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HeartPointsPod, one word. Please follow us and join us for discussion about RPGs and podcasts, and make sure to share us with everyone you know, especially your RPG-loving friends. Do us a favor and check us out on Twitter especially. Give us a follow, a few likes, a few retweets. Twitter has recently updated its algorithm, so it's more important than ever that if you like the show, uh, if you pass us a like, give us a retweet, um, talk to us. We would love to chat with you about the games we're playing and sort of what you think about the games or our stories or anything. We love hearing from you and we love talking to you, and it is the number one best way for other people to find us. I mean, you guys could just feed in directly to his Twitter addiction if you continue to talk to him there. So do that. <laughs> do that. I know that sounded like I was asking you not to, but I am actually asking you to do that. So please Give do me that. a reason to be addicted to Twitter. Essentially, I need to justify this to myself to allow this to continue on. <laughs> um, we want to send a special, very special thank you to our patrons who have already supported us so much by allowing us to keep this show going. If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash heartpointspod. By becoming a patron, you directly support the show and you help us make it better every single week by letting us get better equipment, a website. Um, You will also get some really cool rewards like access to our patron-only Discord, a monthly campfire pod, and some other great things that we've been kind of talking about behind the scenes. Um, every single dollar that you can give us, even a single dollar, will make a huge, huge difference. So It really does. helps keep the lights on, helps keep the tech running. Um, it's really vital, really helpful. This week, we want to give a very special thank you to patron of our hearts, Jessica Sparks. Thank you, Jessica, for your support and patronage. Thank you all again for joining us in our adventure today. We hope that as you return back to the real world, that you continue to have a very nice day. But like, a very, very nice one. <laughs>